Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. So, hi Stem Cell at Lunch Digested listeners. I'm Sergio Nien, a PhD student here at the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. And today we have here Professor Baz Baum uh, from UCL. Uh, how are you, Baz? Fine, thanks. Uh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for coming in. I'm very good. Thank you very much. So, Baz started his career studying biochemistry at Oxford, and then he did his PhD at Paul Norse's lab at the Cancer Research UK at UCL. Yeah. From there, you moved to Harvard for a postdoc uh, in the lab of Robert Bergman. No bad. No bad, Takimo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my French. And then... Uh, you moved back to UCL as a group leader at the MRC Laboratory for Molecular Cell Biology in 2007. Is that right? Uh, actually, I moved back to the UK in 2001, uh-huh. but I moved my lab within UCL. So I've always been at UCL nice. since 2001, uh-huh. and I moved my lab to the LMCB in 2007. Yeah. Nice. And where were you before that? It was called the Ludwig Institute for Cancer Research, which okay. was affiliated with UCL. So, after 2007, when you moved to the, to the Laboratory for Molecular Cell Biology, uh, you were appointed Professor of Cell Biology in 2011. And finally, your most recent position is Director of the Institute for Physics of Living, System, Living Systems, uh, which you were awarded in 2018, if I'm right. Yeah, so I became head of it. I've always been part of that, because uh-huh. at UCL there's been a lot of cross-faculty initiatives to do science between maths, physics and mm-hmm. biology. So I've always done that, but in 2018, um, Eva Paluch, who was the director of the IPLS, she went to Cambridge, and so I took over. Okay, that's, that's excellent. That's a lot of uh, super interesting positions. Um, so I'd like to begin with a really basic question. So. W- why don't you tell us what are you interested on? What is what's the research that you're developing in your lab? So I've always been interested in cells mm-hmm. since I was a student because, of course, cell the cell is the first scale at which something is living. Okay, I mean, anything that's not cellular is not alive. Mm-hmm. And anything that's made of one cell or many cells is alive. So that's kind of a core part of biology that I'm fascinated by and always mm-hmm. have been. And the cell is also amazing because the cell, the molecules that control cells are very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. And cells, in comparison, are huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a relative thing. But you can fit, you know, millions of molecules into a cell. And so then the question is, well, how do cells do the things they do? Such as, you know, for example, the key thing that a cell does, which my lab's very interested in, is how one cell becomes two. Mm-hmm. Because most objects in the world, like chairs, you know, if you want to make it, a chair, you just get all the pieces and you make a chair, and then if you make another chair, you make another chair. Mm-hmm. Living systems propagate because cells grow twice as big and then divide in, in two. Mm-hmm. But to divide in two is incredibly hard because you've got this huge object made of tiny little proteins, mm-hmm. the little machines, and that has to separate equally in half. So that's an incredibly hard problem. And yet everything on Earth can do that. Bacteria can do it. Yeah. Okay, we can do it. And nobody, I think, quite knows how. So my lab is still digging <laughs> in that one place to try to find out how they do that, how cells do that. And, and as I understand it, you are a biochemist slash cell biologist, and you have a cell biology lab. Um, I would say I'm a biologist. I like biology. Right. And we've often worked with physicists, for example, or uh-huh. mathematicians, or... Yeah. 
biochemist, don't do biochemistry, in order to answer a biological question. So for me, the key thing is not about biology, is not the tools, like biochemistry is kind of a tool now, mm -hmm. or genetics is like a tool, mm -hmm. but it's really the question, how do you answer the question? Yeah. And as science progresses, the tools change. And yeah. so now I think it's really important, for example, I don't know if you do that, but many labs now spend a lot of time imaging processes live, mm -hmm. And that requires a different set of skills to biochemistry or genetics because you have to analyze dynamic data and that requires usually tools from maths and physics. Yep. So that's in a way why in the lab we interact much more now with maths and physicists because the nature of the analysis is about process. Mm -hmm. And that's what physicists have always done, like how the planets go around the sun. Yeah. Yeah. You need equations to understand that. Yeah. And so talking to physicists is something I enjoy. I don't, my maths is terrible, <laughs> but I feel like talking to physicists you know you get a sense of how this living physical object a cell or or a fly or a mm -hmm. person is working within sort of physical laws yeah. and then what's special about the biological bits of that yeah so in part my question was was uh, going there so how do you how do you negotiate this kind of interaction between physicists and mathematicians and the more biological side of your work? Uh, do you have yeah. physician, uh, mm, physicists and mathematicians in your lab or do you just collaborate with people that is expert on, on that field? So for years, well, one of my best friends in university is a material scientist mm -hmm. and they use modeling. He, their team uses modeling and so we worked together like many years ago to start thinking about modeling biological systems. Mm -hmm. Since then, most of the work we've done in that area has really been driven by PhD students. Mm -hmm. And so one of the wonderful things at UCL, which actually is no longer running, unfortunately, was there was a PhD program called Complex, where we got very smart students from maths and physics mm -hmm. and engineering who entered biology. And I would always run the courses for teaching them biology. Yeah. Um, and those students who were brave and interested in biology coming from these other disciplines, they're the ones who did all the stuff in my lab that I think looked at, you know, looked at biology through that lens of sort of physical laws. And, yeah. and so a lot of it's done by smart PhD students and I learned a lot from them and mm -hmm. it was fun doing it together. And I think a terrible thing in the UK is that we don't have enough funding for those programs mm -hmm. um, to bring in real students from physics and maths into biology because actually that's what, I think we often need in biology yeah. is that kind yeah. of skill base. Do you think that our research is tending to go more towards the translational side of things and perhaps forgetting super basic biology at the modeling level? I mean, I totally think that's true. So the weird <laughs> thing is that we, in a way, have done a good job of selling the importance of cancer research or stem cell research or mm -hmm. biological research and the idea we're going to do regenerative medicine. but that um, we were so good at selling it as potentially useful mm -hmm. that I think we persuaded people that it's done where actually, you know, we do not understand water, how water really behaves. Yeah. We have very little understanding of, I mean, of a single protein machine. Mm -hmm. And that's why people are still working on the ribosome, yeah. the most basic fundamental unit of life. People still don't know how that works or how in different organisms it works and how it evolves, all those mm -hmm. things. So I think we really have slightly uh, um, misled people and ourselves by thinking that we understand biology but actually yeah if you get down to really you know it depends what you think is understanding but if you really want to understand yeah. like a physical system like how does it work how could I re-engineer it all those sort of things um, you know Richard Feynman's thing if you don't can't engineer it you don't understand it mm -hmm. so getting to that level where you can build a model that recapitulates it um, and you understand 
you know, all the elements of it. It's incredibly hard yeah. and fascinating, and we're not there. And so I think that's why in my lab, weirdly, we've got more and more basic, I would say, yeah. in our research. And now we're studying the most simple things of all because um, that's where the deepest mysteries lie. Yeah. No, I agree. It's, it's very interesting. And I agree on, on this kind of point of view, thinking that if we don't understand the basics as much as we can understand the complex behaviors, we are still missing a, a part of it. I completely agree. Um, perhaps going back to my question, uh, one thing that I think that is very interesting is the fact that when you have a PhD student that is a mathematician and transitions towards biology, or a biologist that transitions towards mathemati uh, mathematics, in my opinion, you're always missing a bit of that field. right? So I'm a biologist by training. I don't know how to do complex maths and if I want to start training on that I'm always going to be missing part of it and I'm going to simplify the question towards the maths that I can do. Do you think that's a problem for students? So part, part yeah I mean just uh, the way I would think about that problem is that first of all there's an idea that science is done by individuals mm -hmm. brilliant people mm -hmm. science is not done by brilliant people it's mm -hmm. done by teams of people thinking together working in communities that are making progress together mm -hmm. so I definitely think that's why it's so important that public publications in science like they're you know within the community where we peer review and we also discuss each other's work and meet at conferences and yeah. because actually science is a community endeavor yeah. so it's not individuals and then um, of course um, there is a kind of canon, a kind of set of things that you think, if you if you were designing a course, you might say, well, I would like students to know about DNA and you know the you know replication, transcription, translation, you know the sort of major principles of systems. But you can also do things completely differently, and I think, um, and I would say, for example, if you take a company, if you want to make an iPhone, you don't get a lot of engineers together, the yeah. whole thing, genius of Steve Jobs was to say, well actually you need psychologists and designers and engineers and mathematicians and because to build an object that's properly integrated and works mm -hmm. and people can use. Mm -hmm. And actually in a similar way, science, you know, when we do science we have to also um, often integrate different elements from different disciplines. We need microscopes that you need a physicist to build, mm -hmm. you need tools and often we just use them you know, you might just use a, a software that someone else has written, but if you don't understand that... So, so all the time, even if you're doing just biology, you're also relying on machines built by physicists and algorithms used, developed by mathematicians like BLAST searches. And, yeah. and so in some way, even if you don't know it, you're doing interdisciplinary research. And I think that the education that art students get, where they get to, <laughs> to play around with 3D printers and make stuff and rethink stuff, and you know, is in yeah. some way better because research is about the edge of knowledge and, and it's very hard to know what tools are going to get you to that next step. Mm -hmm. And it might be that you could just do the things that you've been taught, like two hybrid and mass spec and all these things, genetic screen. But there are also other ways to get to the, same, to the real answer that you might not have thought of. And I think having it, I've always felt having a team of people who, who are from different disciplines, being in an institute like university where people come from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. you have a much broader perspective and actually it's fun also yeah. because it's not about who gets there first using the same technique. Yeah. It's about what's the question, what would be a satisfying answer and how do you get there? And I think that ability, so I mean, but I definitely think, because in a way I've had a conversation with a student recently who was saying he wanted to do a maths course uh -huh. and I was saying, 
don't do a maths course. The whole point about science is that if you need maths, you learn the maths on the mm-hmm. job. Yeah. And if you learn need to do modelling, you learn modelling. Like that's what's fun about it is that whatever you need to do, you learn. Yeah. So in some way, having smart people who are a bit fearless, that's kind of what you need. Mm-hmm. And it's true that there's some background you need, but I think we can also overstate it. Um, and for example, the teachers, the courses I run for graduate students mm-hmm. who come from physics and maths, I do, uh, and I've done for years, these courses like what is life mm-hmm. and what's life on other planets. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is biology students find it very difficult because mm-hmm. if I ask biology students what is life, a lot of them... we inside the framework of... Yeah, they'll say like, it was respiration. Uh-huh. I'm like, well, lots of organisms, what is respiration? And they don't even know or burning oxygen, but many organisms live in an oxygen environment. So... Mm-hmm. Whereas a physicist would talk about entropy mm-hmm. and order and replication. Yeah. So in some way, I really learned from that, that biologists can go, you can do a lot of education in biology and understand nothing yeah. <laughs> or very little about biology. And for example, in my course as a biochemist student, biochemistry student at Oxford, I learned no evolution. And for me, you know, you cannot understand biology if you don't understand evolution because mm-hmm. it's not an engineered system, it's an evolved system. Yeah. And so for me, biology is actually the... the the bringing together of physics and chemistry because it's physical sciences with evolution because that's what biology is it's an evolving physical chemical system mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's not really taught many places so I sort of feel that I'm not sure the way we teach is the best mm-hmm. um, for doing research actually yeah, that, yeah I think that's a super interesting approach I, I agree on many of these points I agree that evolution is the key of biology evolution without that biology without evolution is not science uh, and maybe I want to pick on some of the things that you just mentioned maybe more looking at the techniques and the techniques that you use in the lab so as you said many of the techniques that you use are actually developed because of the questions that you are undergoing right and I understand that in this um, in this framework you have been involved in the creation of the making lab at the Greek where uh, can you explain us first of all what's the making lab at the Greek? Yeah. Well, so so first of all, many years ago, so I told you that when I, um, I've got this old friend from university, uh-huh. and he was an engineer and material scientist, and at UCL he set up this thing called the Institute of Making at UCL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea is a bit like a hack space where yeah. anybody can go and make whatever they want. Like, and people make microscopes and wedding rings and sculptures, and yeah. I think he always says the people making things on on the pottery are the ones who are usually emotionally. <laughs> having emotional problems but everybody else is making stuff you know for um, for whatever they want and it's really fabulous because again it brings that thing that art students have uh-huh. the ability to just make your own stuff yes. to a university and so we realised that and I've been doing that for several years now is that actually in biology we don't we buy stuff and we don't often think about whether we're doing the right experiment and so for years my lab has worked on cells and culture mm-hmm. and it's only recently been appreciated, which is kind of shocking in a way, that cells in culture are not organisms. They're cells in often fetal serum, mm-hmm. meaning, the, you know, blood from fetal cows, which yeah. is also not very nice, and it's full of stuff we don't understand, yeah. on a plastic or glass substrate, which is incredibly hard mm-hmm. and has nothing to do with, you know, normal tissues. Exactly. And so what we realise is that under those conditions, the cells people are studying in many labs, thousands, hundreds of thousands of scientists across the world are studying these things. And actually, 
they haven't defined the system they're working with. And actually what we started to do years ago, and it's not we weren't the first to do it, lots of people have done it before us, was just to say, well, what about if you just give cells, you just control the environment a bit more, so put cells on a circle instead of just a flat substrate, mm -hmm. or change the mechanics of the subject, or squash cells, or, mm -hmm. um, or just place cells in a 3D environment where it's regulated. And the cell behavior is completely different. And for example, these days, many people start to work in organoids and 3D suspension culture. But actually, for me, that's a red herring because, again, they don't understand, they're not controlling the environment. If mm -hmm. you don't control the environment, like that's what physicists are good at, is they'll do an experiment where all the conditions are known yeah. and understood and are in, have been designed by the experimenter. Yeah. Biologists, what they do is often, they just use control experiments where they do one system and they mutate a gene and they look at, Mm -hmm. They compare a normal um, and an experimental yeah. perturbed system. But they actually, lots of function. Lots of function, function. But actually, what they don't spend enough time doing is thinking about how they set up the experiment. Yeah. So the idea of the making lab, which I had together with my friend Mark Mirdovnik, was that a, a group of us proposed to the Crick that there should be a place in the Crick where people don't go because at the Crick there's always been a workshop. People say to the engineers, "Could you just make me something?" Mm -hmm. And so the idea was to set up a different kind of. Um, place to have a place at the Crick where everybody could also make their own equipment mm -hmm. and uh, and actually for me it was partly not just about being able to make the right equipment but also helping people to ask whether the equipment they use is appropriate yeah. for the experiment and we also wanted it to be a collaborative space so we removed in when you go into labs there's often these people work at a at a bench mm -hmm. and the person opposite them can't see them because you put all these bottles in the way. Yeah. So you wanted to get rid of that so it's a flat table uh -huh. so people can work together. I'm not sure it really works like that. The idea was that it's a space where people collaborate and make their own equipment. Mm -hmm. I think it's being used more, but the thing is the people who know how to use it, they use it all the time. Mm -hmm. And other people, there's still a bit of a barrier to use it. So we'd like more people to sort of, to just feel, that's why it's not a clean room. Yeah. People just go in and make a mess. Yeah. And we think that that's an important culture to bring to yeah. life science. Yeah, I love the idea. And... To wrap up, today we are going to be talking about um, how the, the evolution of the cell division cycle. Can we put in a couple of sentences what has been the evolution of the cell cycle? So uh, my PhD supervisor, Paul Nurse, got the Nobel Prize for showing how there's a clock in cells that measures their age so that one cell gets older and older and older. When it's big and old, it divides and becomes, gives rise to two new mm -hmm. freshly born cells, which are small because it cuts in half. And that clock, you know, is used by all big complex organisms on the planet and even small complex organisms like yeast and plants and animals. But it's not used by archaea. They don't have that clock. And yet they have the same process. They still have an ordered process of growing and dividing. So we have been interested in where the clock comes from and what preceded this clock. And we think we found one of the components um, which um, orders how simpler cells do that, and it's probably where our cells got the mm -hmm. got the core machinery um, mm -hmm. from. So, but it's a it's a new area of research in the lab, just to try and find out where the things that our cells use to do things come from. That's excellent. That's very good. Uh, so thank you very much. I'd like to finish here. I would like to thank you very much for all your questions. It's been a really interesting chat, actually. And nothing. I'm really looking forward to see your presentation. And for the thank you <laughs> for the listeners of Stem Cells at Lines Digested. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next week. Bye.